thank you very, very much. That was a blessing. Well, I know your pastor is very excited about this conference, and I'm excited as well. And uh, I know that he's very appreciative of your faithfulness to be here tonight. And I am as well very appreciative of it. It's a, a blessing when folks are willing to come out and, and learn and understand what God has for us. And uh, I, I want to just uh, thank you and thank him for the invitation for us to be here. I was here at this church five years ago uh, on a Wednesday night when, um, before it was purchased and uh, with his father. And so I had an opportunity to see the side of the inside of this building and all that five years ago. My wife wasn't with me at that time. Um, we came out together and then she stayed there at, uh, at the church there in Astoria. So this is her first trip to this, this location and my granddaughter as well. I might just tell you a little bit about who we are. Is this on? Can you hear? Okay. <clears throat> I turned my hearing aids up so I could hear myself a little bit. But, um, but anyway, uh, we are from Phoenix, Arizona, where 40-some um, years ago, after Bible college, I went to Arizona and planted two churches there, one in Globe, Arizona, and then uh, down to Phoenix and um, pastored that church for 36 years after we started it. So I know a little bit about what it's like when you first start out and you don't hardly have anyone. In fact, in both those churches we started, we didn't have anyone at all. And so it's, uh, it, un it's understandable and trying to get a church uh, going and growing and numerically increasing and, and adding the programs that are necessary in order for God to really use the church to, to reach out to the regions beyond. And so um, we know exactly what that's like. My wife and I have three children. Uh, we have a daughter that lives in Washington with her husband and my son who lives in Chandler, Arizona with her, his wife, two children. And then my, my youngest daughter uh, is the pastor's wife now of my, the church that we pastored and her husband, which is Adrienne's mom and dad. And so uh, we're, uh, we, we, have nine, we have nine grandchildren. Seven of our nine grandchildren go to our church there when we're, uh, when we're back in Phoenix. So we travel uh, about six months, seven months out of the year around the United States preaching. Now, I stepped down from being the pastor six years ago, uh, five years ago, and um, six years ago, okay, time goes by. But anyway, so we travel all around the United States, and we're in churches, have a good time, and so forth. And uh, we'll get back to Phoenix here a week from today, stay through the holidays, and then about March, we'll get back on the road again, and won't get back until next November again. So we, we've got it all planned so that we get out of the heat in the summer and come back in the winter months, and that's a blessing. <clears throat> so if you have your Bible tonight, I'm going to start the, start the conference tonight <clears throat> encouraging you in a way that I believe that uh, it has to do with an attitude. Let me, let me start this like this. Whenever we send our kids to camp, uh, junior camp, high school camp, or whatever, um, they always ask me to come in and pray with the kids before <clears throat> they get on the buses and so forth to go to camp. And we'll send a great crowd of kids to camp. And the first thing I always pray about is this. I'd say, Lord, help them to have the right attitude before they go to camp. Right now, before they get on the bus, it'll be a great week at camp 
if it's based on the right attitude. And so we pray that way, uh, and when they come back, we always see results and so forth. Well, I, I'm a firm believer that attitude is the key to just about everything. If you have the right attitude towards something, then uh, it's much more easier to do it or easier to learn it or deal with whatever situation. And so I want to look at a passage tonight uh, and uh, have you turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. And then also, if you would find the book of Romans chapter number 15. <coughs> Acts 16, Romans 15. Now, the reason I'm selected these two passages is because they're similar and they speak about the same individuals. The difference is in Acts chapter 16, it's the beginning of inter being introduced to these individuals. And in Romans 15, it's eight years later. So Paul is actually going to give us some information about these people that got saved eight years before this. So we're going to look here in Acts 16. And you do understand, I'm sure, if you've been in church any length of time, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas that were at the church at Antioch in Acts 13 uh, are sent out from that church to be missionaries. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein I've called them. And the church at Antioch laid hands on them and sent them out and approved them. And Paul and Barnabas went on a missionary journey into Asia Minor and began to plant churches and win people to Christ and preach the gospel. And the church at Antioch not just sent them, but supported them because these two missionaries couldn't have just gone without any support at all. So they were supported by that church. After a, a period of time uh, in this particular passage here, Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, or in Acts 15 decide to go back to Antioch and report as their missionaries uh, what God had done with them, declared unto them what God had been doing with them in the few years they had been on the road as missionaries. So it'd be like a missionary coming home for a short furlough to its sending church and saying, this is what God's done. Now, they didn't have videos and so forth, but uh, if they had them, they'd have showed their slides or they'd have showed their videos of how the church that they planted and the people that got saved and so forth. And the reason, quite frankly, that they would go back to a church that either supported them or their sending church is because that church would want to see the fruit of their investment. Because when you give to missions, and we're going to see this before the week's out, it's going to actually be fruit that comes back to you personally as a church. And so Paul here in Acts 16 is come back to report to this church. <clears throat> and if you'll notice there, <clears throat> I'm sorry, if you'll notice right there in um, verse number 38 of, the, of, of chapter 15, it says, but Paul thought it not good to take him them with him to depart from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And then it talks about how he's going to go back through Syria and Sicily, confirming the churches that he had planted prior. And so now we're actually in Acts 16 here. We're looking at Paul and Silas going out on a second missionary journey. So now Paul and Silas are going to be a missionary couple, and Barnabas and Mark are going to be a missionary couple. 
and they're going to go back out. Now, notice if you would, <clears throat> in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse number 6, it says, Now when they, that would be Paul and Silas, had gone through Phrygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mycenae, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Messiah, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately, Paul said, We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. So I want you to understand here that when Paul and Silas went on their second missionary journey to go back up into Asia Minor, where they went on their first journey to confirm the souls that had been saved, uh, the, the Bible says the Spirit of God did not suffer them to go into that area because there was a man over in Macedonia that had been praying, God, would you send Paul over to us uh, in Macedonia and Achaia and let him bring the gospel to us? And so uh, Paul, uh, uh, really here in 6 and 7, he's actually trying to push his way into Asia Minor. And that's why it says twice there that the Spirit just kept hindering him from going so he could go over to Macedonia. So I want you to get in your mind now that Paul is going to Macedonia after he sees the vision. And uh, these are Gentiles over in Macedonia. And Paul was called and chose to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul goes there and he establishes churches like uh, Philippi and churches like Corinth and Berea and uh, Thessalonica, many, many providences in Galatia and that area, church at Galatia. Uh, he was very successful because he was led of the Holy Spirit, supported by the church at Antioch and probably even some in Asia Minor to go there to Macedonia. So he's preaching the gospel in Macedonia because somebody had prayed and said, send us over the gospel. You know, they had uh, the goddess Diana and Aphrodite and other gods like we even seen tonight on the video, people that were pagan worshipers of idols, and yet the Macedonians came to realize that these, these don't fill the void, spiritual void that's in my heart. Their life was never changed by that. It was just dead religion, and we, we, our whole world today is filled with that. My wife and I, over uh, the many years, we've had chances to go overseas to different countries. And I'm just telling you, it's paganism. They, they fall down and they worship idols, things that are just made with man's hands. And they put their trust and faith in those kind of things. And so Paul goes over there at the request of bring us something that will change our life. And they had probably heard that when Paul went into the first missionary journey, the lives that had been spiritually changed because of the gospel, and now they wanted it themselves. So Paul goes there, and these people get saved. Well, eight years goes by, if you'll turn over Romans chapter 15, and a great dearth uh, is broken out in Jerusalem, and there's a um, famine, and souls down in Jerusalem are in poverty and so forth. And Paul, uh, had when he was at Corinth, the church he'd started on his second missionary journey there, <clears throat> had told them about the souls down in that area that needed help. 
And the Corinthian church says, well, why don't we take up an offering, like a missions offering, and we'll lead that, and we'll, we'll encourage the Macedonian churches here, uh, like Berea and Thessalonica, we'll encourage them to get on board. And so really the Bible tells us over in 2 Corinthians that the church at Corinth was the ones that really provoked those churches to have a to be a, give a certain contribution to help out on this offering. Now, this wasn't their tithes. A tithe belongs to the local church. A tithe is an obedient form of giving. It takes no faith to give your tithe. Uh, you know, when you first get saved, you learn to tithe to the Lord because the tithe stays in one church, the home church. It's the, the tithe throughout the whole Bible is clear that it takes care of the pastor and that local church base. But outside of the local church, it takes other offerings to help missionaries to go beyond your own church. So, uh, you know, a church pays their pastor through the tithe, pays the electric bill, pays for all the needs, takes care of the maintenance. And as long as everybody will tithe to the Lord, then the home church is always in good shape. Uh, it's only a struggle when people are not tithing. And you have to learn and understand the principle of that. But when you're talking about supporting a missionary that comes to your church, and you do support some, I believe about six missionaries, okay? So you understand that when a couple comes and are called of the Lord to be taking the gospel for you to another place. You remember in Acts 1.8 where it says, after the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you shall be witnesses in, in, uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, in other words, God says, once you're saved and the Holy Spirit comes into you, you have a responsibility to your Jerusalem, which is this area, but you, at the same time, you have a responsibility to carry the gospel beyond just your own Jerusalem. It's both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so when God established the church, he commissioned the church and told the church, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now that's a, that's a huge responsibility. I mean, I'm not going to be able to go to all the nations of the earth to preach the gospel. I'm not going to be able to leave Phoenix and the church that God called me to pastor and my Jerusalem to take the gospel somewhere else. So in order for me to fulfill that, I've got to be willing to support somebody that is called to go beyond that. And so these missionaries that you support, they don't, they don't stay here in your community. You are responsible for this community. You're the missionaries here. This is where God has you. But you still have a responsibility beyond this to support somebody that is called to go and take the gospel for you to the regions beyond. And that's why we have missions. Missions is home and foreign type missions. When we first started out at Cornerstone Baptist Church, <clears throat> we didn't have any missionaries when we first started the church, but we had a desire because I was saved on the mission field in the military in the Philippine Islands where I was stationed for 13 months. And at the age of 20, a missionary that had been sent from America had gone over there to reach Filipinos and ended up knocking on my door and giving me the gospel. Here I was from Michigan and I got saved as a result of some church in America that supported a missionary to take the gospel to the Philippines. Or I wouldn't be standing here being saved tonight. 
So I'm not only thankful for the faithfulness of that missionary, but I'm extremely faithful or thankful to the faithfulness of local churches that sent the gospel to the Philippines and supported a missionary that reached me. And so that was 53 years ago when I got saved in the Philippines. And uh, I've always had a heart for missions because I felt like it was missions that brought me to Christ. And so I felt like when we start a church, uh, we're going to start right off supporting missionaries. We're going to fulfill, we're going to do what the Bible tells our church to do. And so we're not just going to build our little community and build our little church and hoard all the monies that come into our building. We're going to have this liberal attitude that we need to be taking on missionaries. So when we started that church, we did that. And then on our second church, we did the same thing. And now uh, after 40 years, now our church supports there in Phoenix 140 some missionaries. And we're giving now almost 400,000 above our tithes to missions. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Because every year we challenge our people through a missions conference. Folks, the world's getting bigger and we need, we've still got missionaries that need to get to the field. And if we could just increase a little bit of our missions giving from last year, we could take on some more missionaries. And so sometimes people come from different backgrounds to where they'll be in churches to where they just take a portion of their tithe and give it to missions. Unfortunately, that's not the biblical plan of God. God doesn't want us to take our tithe and give it to missions. God wants to use the tithe right here. And he wants us to get involved in missions offering. So when, when the church at Corinth provoked the Macedonian Christians to get involved with this offering, I want us to notice the attitude. Look at Romans 15 with me. This is eight years after these people got saved. So they were fairly new Christians. But in verse number 20 of Romans 15, it says, Yea, so have I, Paul said, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. That's the whole purpose of missions, is to take the gospel to where it's never been preached, nobody understands who Christ is, and preach it to them so they can see what we've seen and understand what we now understand, and they can get saved, and their life can be changed, and their name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they can have eternal life, and they can follow the Lord and believers' baptism, and a church gets established, and they reproduce the same thing. And that's how you actually get the gospel to the whole world. And so he says here, I, I had to strive to get the gospel to the areas that had never heard it before, but he says in verse 21, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see and they, shall not, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, wheresoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first I be somewhat filled with your company." But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister to the saints. So Paul, being a missionary, says, before I can come to you Roman Christians here in the book of Romans, I, I, as a missionary, I've got to take and go down to Jerusalem and help these people down there. And so notice, if you would here, in verse 26, it says, For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia 
to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. You ought to underline in your Bible the word certain contribution. Because after I got saved, I thought to myself, I want to be the kind of a Christian that makes a certain contribution <clears throat> to helping others receive the gospel. I don't want to live a Christian life where it's all about me. It's always got to be about other people, helping others to come to Jesus Christ through the gospel. So the Macedonians that I told you about that just got saved eight years ago, they hear about this, this, uh, this offering and they, they want to make a certain contribution. And it says that they want to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are down in Jerusalem. And it says here about these Macedonians, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. Paul said, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. <clears throat> so keep in mind here now, the Macedonians are eight years old in the Lord because Paul brought the gospel to them. And now they hear that somebody else needs the gospel and some other saints are in poverty. And so uh, they're taking up a, an offering. Now, I want you to turn to one more passage with me quickly. And then I'm going to come back here and finish this out here in just a few moments. But turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And this is also about the Macedonian churches. This is actually telling you how they responded to this, this offering, this missions offering. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of ministering to the saints. So Paul says here, you, you cannot believe we thought, well, if these Macedonian churches are going to have a part in this offering, this missions offering, well, they're certainly not going to be able to give much because they're in, they're, they're in affliction and they're in deep poverty. And so, but the Bible says here, I want you to wit of the grace of God that was bestowed upon them. So God's grace gave them the ability simply because the Macedonians had the right attitude about wanting to make a certain contribution. In fact, the Bible says, they were first will, had a first willing in their mind. There in that same passage, he says, for if there first be a willing mind, they were willing to do this. And then he says, they gave themselves unto the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So uh, really, I've often said this in pastoring, you're really not trying to get people's pocketbooks. All you're trying to do is let God get their heart. Because when God gets a man's heart, and he's got the right attitude in here, God's already got this. You understand? A lot of times we, when we talk about giving money or tithing or anything like that, Christians kind of bristle up a little bit because we don't want to hear about us taking something that we feel is ours and give it more to the church or more to somebody else. We live in a culture today where 
people feel like they earned every dime, they, they worked hard to have it, but they forget that everything they have came from the Lord. The air they breathe came from God. The life they've got comes from God. Their home comes from God. Their job comes from God. Their income comes from God. God owns everything. And God gives it to us. And then when God says, here, uh, would you be willing to make a certain contribution? It's really, it's really not hard to give back to God because it was his already and he gave it to me. And so just giving it back to the Lord. And I've learned in my Christian life, if I live the Christian life with an open mind and an open heart and an open hand, then God, God can teach me something. He can move the Holy Spirit to take me where he wants me. And he can use my life as a channel uh, to others. You see, when whatever God gives you, whether it's carnal things or substance, and you put it, he puts it in your hand and you clench your hand to keep it for yourself, you just cut off God being able to give you more. But if you'll always just keep an open hand and whatever what God sees, that, that man's got an open hand, he's willing to, whatever I give him, he's willing to give out, then God will just keep pouring it in and pouring it in and pouring it in because your life becomes a channel for him to reach others. So sometimes people say, well, we just struggle financially. It would be best if you just looked at how liberal you are in your giving to others is, to, is maybe the reason sometimes that we struggle. Because if you're liberal in what God gives to you towards others, you'll never have really difficulties like you think you would have. So you always got to keep that open hand. So the Macedonians, they took on an attitude within eight years of being saved, probably even before this, because there was, no, there was no faith promise missions offering up to this point. And when they found out about the, the idea of giving a certain contribution and offering, their attitude immediately was, we're more than happy to do that. Somebody brought us the gospel. Somebody paid or gave money so a missionary like Paul could bring us the gospel and we got saved. And now we've become partakers of the spiritual things of God. So now we want to make a certain contribution. And really, that's the right attitude. But I want you to notice real quickly here in this passage that the attitude is based upon three, three thoughts. And look at it, first of all. It, it says here, it hath pleased them, in verse 27, it hath pleased them and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of spiritual things, their duty is also <clears throat> to minister unto them in carnal things. So I've, I kind of put a title on this message tonight living the Christian life in 3D. Living the Christian life in 3D. If you can incorporate these three attitudes towards missions, you'll be right in the will of God. So the very first one, it's mentioned here in verse 27, the Macedonians took on the attitude about giving because they considered it their duty to do this. That's the first D. He says they thought it was their duty to do this. Now, the word duty here in this word passage is actually a military term, kind of like when I went into the military, they said, now you have a duty to your country to defend your country against the opposing force or nations, so forth. So when you go into the military, you take on a duty for your country. And, but, but he says it's, they felt it was their duty to minister in carnal things. My pocketbook or my money is a carnal thing. It's, it's God's given me this, but it's a carnal thing. And he says they considered it their duty because they had received spiritual things through the gospel. 
that it was now their duty to give some of their carnal things to help somebody else get it. Are, are you with me? That's, that's exactly what he's saying here. So the word duty is act, actually a not, it's not a negative word, it's a positive word. The idea of the word duty here, when you take on the attitude in a church, hey, it's my duty to do this. It's my duty to give above just my tithe. I have a duty according to the Bible. That, that you have a duty as long as you have become a partaker of spiritual things. If you're here and you're not saved, well then you don't have that duty yet because you aren't a partaker yet of the spiritual things of God. Prior to me getting saved in the Philippines, if somebody had asked me as a lost man, would you be willing to give a missionary offering? I'd have gone, no way, you know, because I wasn't saved. Nobody had brought me the gospel. But when they did bring me the gospel and I got saved, my life got changed, then I thought, now it's my duty to help somebody else receive this gospel. And so the Macedonians incorporated the mentality that we have a duty. The same, uh, if you look this word up, it's the same idea as a citizen of a country having a duty to abide by its constitution and laws of that country. We have a duty to do that. It's, this, it's the same word that means the idea of a child living under a parent. His duty is to obey his mother and father and to learn to do that. That's the duty of a child. Okay, uh, The duty of a Christian is to read the Bible and pray and do what God would have us to do and live a holy life. That's our duty. That's the duty of a Christian, to be a witness to other people. Whatever God's asked me to do as my heavenly father, I'm under his authority. I have a duty to listen and do what God's word tells me to do. So the Macedonians, after eight years of understanding, they, they understood we have a duty to do this. Someone says, listen, is it my duty as a Christian a member of Community Baptist Church here in this area, are you saying it's my duty uh, to help somebody else get the gospel? That's what I'm saying. That's the right attitude to take on. You see, if you don't have that attitude, it wouldn't matter what I preached because if your attitude isn't that it's your duty, you're not going to give carnal things anyway. Are you agree with that? I mean, it's easy to give once you understand it's my duty to do it. And so I, I really think you have to understand we have a duty. Now, you'd say, well, if it's not our duty, well, then whose duty is it? Whose duty is it to take the gospel to the world? Well, according to the Bible, it's the church's duty. It's not lost around this community. These lost people are not going to support missionaries to take the gospel. It's not the people you work with. It's your duty. It's the members of our church's duty that had been partakers of the gospel and, and the spiritual things. You say, well, what spiritual things did these Macedonians become partakers of? Well, they became a partaker of the, of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that came into them when they got saved. They became a partaker of the forgiveness of God. They became a partaker of the pardon of sin. They became a partaker of the Holy Spirit that would lead them and teach them and guide them and show them in their Christian life through the word of God what they needed to do. All of these spiritual things that come into your life that when you get saved, many of you become the partakers of that when you got saved. Well, if you look at verse 27 here, Verily, their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles, which are the Macedonians, have been made partakers, Paul said, of their, they're referring to the Jews, of the Jews' spiritual things, the gospel, their duty, 
the Gentiles' duty is also now to minister unto the Jews in carnal things. Because the Jews were the ones that were going through the dearth. They were the ones going through the famine. They were the ones that needed to still get the gospel brought to them. So the Macedonians said, well, I've got this attitude. Because these people were willing to support a man like Paul as a missionary to take the gospel and bring it over to us. Now we get to go to heaven. Now we feel it's our duty to also support some other missionary so he can go somewhere else. And that's the right attitude to take on. In fact, it wouldn't make any difference, as I said, what messages I brought. If the attitude towards giving to missions is not right, nothing else would matter. Notice there's a second D here. He didn't just say it's our duty to do this, but he said also in verse 27, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. Now the Macedonians felt that they owed a debt to the lost man, to get the gospel, to get the gospel to them. You know, <clears throat> I feel like I owe a debt the, to anybody that's lost to make sure they get the gospel. The Apostle Paul, and I, you don't need to turn there, but on the very first chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul took on the same debtor's attitude. Listen to what he says here. Paul said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So Paul, when he got saved on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, Paul said, man, uh, somebody, somebody paid a price to give me the gospel. Somebody died for me, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he paid a price. He sacrificed. He gave. He, he, he was rich, but he became poor that I might be made rich. And he left his heavenly father. And really, Jesus Christ became the first missionary. And he brought the gospel to the world. And Paul got saved. And now Paul said, now I'm a debtor, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to the barbarians. I'm ready now to go preach the gospel to them that are, uh, that are out there. But, but you understand something about a missionary. When a missionary says, I'm going to go to the Philippines or Fiji or Japan or whatever foreign country that God has laid upon them to go to, they cannot go over there and buy land because they're not citizens. They cannot work a job. They, can't, they have no income whatsoever. So they're foreigners. They're aliens to the country they're being called to. And so how are they going to go there and take their family and live on a foreign field unless they've got the monies to be able to rent an apartment or get a building going or whatever and get the gospel out. Well, they get their funds from churches just like this. And that's why we have missions. We have a missions conference coming up in January in our church. It'll be like our 43rd or 44th missions conference in our church. And we usually invite five missionary families that feel called to come to our missions conference. And they we spend a Wednesday through a Sunday night, it's a little bit longer conference, and we ex let them expose the field that God has called them to, and we watch where, where God's called them, and then they say, would you pray for us that, we, that God will get us onto that field so we can take this blessed gospel to those people that are lost. And so what we do is we challenge our people, folks, we'd like to take on these five families. But it's it, taking them out at 100 or 150 a month, whatever a church decides to start them at, is going to take some funds to do that. And so we're asking the congregation, above your tithe, would you be willing? And if you have the attitude, it's my duty to be willing to do this. I'm a debtor. I wouldn't be saved if somebody had, had that same attitude and brought it to me. 
And so these that had become partakers said, we're debtors. You know, when I went to Bible college at Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in San Dimas, California in 1975, <clears throat> I was married at the time, and uh, uh, we went to school together, my wife and I, and we did not know in the four years that we were out there going to school, we did not know there were churches similar to yours that were supporting the Bible college. Just like our church, and I'm sure this church maybe supports Heartland, where Andrew went to school. And so, uh, by the way, Heartland is, is just Pacific Coast moved to the Oklahoma City area. And so uh, we have churches that support that Bible college. Now, why do they support the Bible college? They support the Bible college so that a student like myself and Andrew and others can go for a lower cost of tuition, or otherwise it would be almost very expensive to be able to go to school. So churches like yours, they'd say, hey, let's take that on as a mission work. They're not actually a foreign mission work, but it's a part of missions. They're training the future missionaries. They're training the future pastors. So let's support that Bible college because they're going to graduate a bunch. So they sent the support in. Well, it turns out that I found out that they were giving them like one-third of all the tuition that the students had paid were coming from churches. So when I went out and started a church, I felt like, you know, somebody made it easy for me to go to Bible college. I feel like I owe a debt back to that school to be a supporter of that school so another student can go there at a lower amount of tuition. And so that's why we support Heartland, because some, some, somebody supported the college I went to, and I'm not just going to live my life saying, hey, thanks for helping me, but I don't owe a debt to anybody. You know, I paid off the rest of my school bill. I don't owe anything to that Bible college. You know, I, I got saved, and, and a missionary came to me, but I don't feel like I owe a debt to the rest of the world. I mean, the, God found me. He can find them. That's the wrong attitude to have. The attitude is you have a duty, and you ought to feel like you owe a debt. The boy that, that knocked on my barracks door 53 years ago was a hog farmer from Garden City, Missouri. He had got saved in the Philippines as well, and he was out knocking on barracks doors, passing out tracks. And he knocked on my barracks door. And because I was lost, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I had no desire to go to church. I had no desire to read a Bible, be a Bible thumper, you know, and be a Holy Joe. That was kind of the way I looked at it at that time. So I turned him down and said, I'm not interested. Leave the track and, you know, make, get, get, get out of my barracks or whatever kind of an attitude. I wasn't a very friendly guy at that time. So anyway... He came back a couple nights, knocked on my barracks door again. I opened the door. He said, uh, listen, I, I just wanted to come by and invite you to come to church with me this Sunday. I'm not interested in church. Well, could I talk to you a little bit? Well, go ahead and talk to me. So uh, he talked to me. He was giving me the gospel. And he went over the track and so forth. And then he said, can I pray with you? I said, if you'd like to pray, that's fine. Well, tears started coming down his cheeks, and he was, oh, he said, Heavenly Father, I pray for this man's soul. Help open his heart. Help him to understand he's lost, that he needs the gospel. Well, this went on for like two to three weeks. And finally, I was so under conviction, he'd showed me enough from the Bible that I knew that if I died, I'd go to hell. So he brought me the gospel. He spent time coming back and coming back and coming back. He wasn't a bother, but I was so moved that he had that much compassion in his heart for my lost soul, that it made me realize I'd like to be like that guy. I wish I had that kind of compassion for others. And so I was charged of quarters one night at 1130 at night. 
And uh, I decided that was the night I was going to get saved. I was just, my heart was pounding. I was scared that if I didn't get saved, I'd die and, and, and be separated from Christ for eternity. So it was about 1130 and I decided at midnight I was going to go out and kneel under a full moon and make it, you know, kind of a sanctimonious thing and get down on my knees and call upon God. Well, when it got to be about 1135, I'm waiting for the 12 noon to come and I'm thinking in my heart, what if I don't make it to 12 o'clock? What if my heart stops beating? And man, I got so scared that I fell down right on my knees at the couch inside the charge of quarters room. Tears running down my cheeks and I'm saying, oh God, please save me right now. Don't save me at 12 o'clock. Save me right now. And I asked Jesus to come in my heart and save me right there. There was a mirror inside the charge of quarters room when I got done praying and wiping my face and asking Jesus to be my savior. I got up thinking now that I'm a Christian, Maybe I look different. So I went over to the mirror, and I thought I'd see a halo, but there was no halo. I thought I'd see angels dust, but there was no angel dust. And I was still the ugly guy on the outside that I always was. But something took place in here that changed me. My heart was changed. And so that, it took a lot to get me uh, just to that point of getting saved. Well, after I got saved that night, this guy said, would you like to come by on a Saturday? And said, he knocked on my barracks door. He didn't know I got saved yet. And he said, I'd, I want to invite you one more time to come to church tomorrow with me. And I said, I want to go. He goes, you do? And I went, yeah, I got saved last night. You did? I go, yeah, because you gave me the gospel. The Holy Spirit convicted my heart, and I got saved last night. And he goes, well, praise the Lord. And, you know, man, he was rejoicing. He gave me a hug. So I went to that church that day, that Sunday, and we walked in. And he, uh, the pastor there, the missionary, Brother Quinlan, uh, said, Mike, who do you have here? And he says, I have Sergeant Randolph. And he goes, well, Sergeant Randolph, glad to have you here. Brother Mike, thank you for bringing Sergeant Randolph to our church. Well, the pastor, Quinlan, went up to the platform, and I nudged Mike, and I said, <clears throat> he called you a brother, Brother Mike. He didn't call me a brother. He said, oh, that's right, I forgot to tell him you got saved. I said, well, how do I get to be a brother? He said, well, you already are a brother. I said, I am. Well, he didn't call me a brother. He, so he, he walked up and he goes, uh, Brother Quinlan, Brother Randolph, Sergeant Randolph got saved for night. He went, well, Brother Randolph, good. I thought, okay, that's how you join the brotherhood. You, all you got to do is get saved. So from that time on, I was a brother, you know. And then as I sat in that church for three months, I started learning from the Bible the kind of attitude that I need to have as a Christian. It wasn't long in just a matter of short time. I didn't know, understand about tithing. And so as a little kid, my dad used to stick us four boys, us five boys, on a Sunday school bus. My parents never went. And my dad would give us each a quarter as a little kid and said, now when you go to the Sunday school, put your quarter in the offering plate. So growing up, I was 20 years old when I got saved. I figured everybody gave a quarter. So I went to the church there, there at the mission church, and they got ready to take up an offering. And Mike says, we're going to be giving our tithes and offerings tonight. And I said, what's that? And he says, well, that's where you give back 10%. And I said, well, I brought, I brought my quarter, you know, because that's the way I looked at it. And so here comes the offering plate, and I dropped that quarter in that offering plate, and that was before they put carpet in the bottom of the offering plates. They were just metal. And as soon as the quarter hit the offering plate, everybody knew in the whole place I was a cheapskate. I mean, the quarter, bang, ding, 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 ding. And uh, the rest of them were putting in these little white envelopes, and I thought, man, so Mike says, yeah, I don't think that quarter's a tithe. And I said, I don't even know what a tithe is. He says, a tithe is 10% of everything God gives you in income. I went as a brand new Christian. Are you kidding me? 
10%? But I had to learn 10% was a good deal. God's going to give me 100% of everything I've got, and he's only going to ask for 10 cents back. I get, I get 90% for myself. Hey, I'll get in on that plan anytime. And so, man, I started tithing. Then we started learning about we've got a responsibility to send missionaries. And I thought, well, I'm already giving them my tithe. And he said, no, this is from the Bible. It's a missions offering to make a certain contribution above your tithe to help others get the gospel. And so I said, okay, if that's what God wants me to do, then I'm going to do it. I felt like I, was, I owed a duty to do that because they helped me. I felt I was a debtor because somebody had helped me to get it. But the most important D, and the last point I want to make here, is found right there in verse 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, it's their duty also to minister unto them in carnal things. The word for it pleased them is the word that they, it means delight. They were delighted to do it. He uses that word in another passage in 2 Corinthians 8 where they were delighted to do this. You see, I don't want to just give because I feel it's a duty of mine, although I have a duty. And I don't want to do it just because I feel like I owe a debt. The, the most important thing is I want to do it because it's, it's a delight to do it. To see the films and to see the slides of, of people that were once in paganism, like I had been, come to know Christ their Savior, and they now got a smile on their face and they're going to heaven and they're a brother and sister in Christ. I mean... When I feel like I gave to that missionary uh, a portion of the money, some of my carnal things to get him on the mission field, man, I'm more than delighted to do it again and again and again. I've been giving to missions now for 53 years, my wife and I. We've been married for 51 years, but, in, but 53 years I've been getting involved in missions. Every single year for 53 years, my wife and I have increased our missions giving by faith. It doesn't come from my income. My income, I tithe off my income. But my, my missions offering is I just trust God by faith. I always say, Lord, I'm going to give you a little bit more. Would you show me what you want me to give this year above what I gave last year so that I can help to add some more missionaries and help my church? And so I just trust the Lord, and I put down on our card. We use cards similar to this, and I write down the amount that I plan to get involved in this year so my church can begin to forecast what the church as a whole can do for missions. And if those cards aren't filled out or you don't have to sign them, you don't have to say what class you're in or anything, but just whatever God lays on your heart, you know, you may be here tonight and you may say, I don't even give to missions in through this church. Well, you ought to start because you do have a duty if you're saved. And you should feel like you owe a debt to, to somebody to get the gospel to them. And I can tell you this, you ought to feel delighted to do it. I thought about this. All those people that helped get Brother Quinlan over there had the same three attitudes. That's how I got saved. So I, my wife and I here coming up in January, we're going to be challenged to increase again. And so six years ago, uh, I lost all my income uh, when I stepped down as a pastor. I had a fairly good large church in Phoenix and several hundreds of people going to that church. And um, they paid me a very lucrative salary and took care of my needs as their pastor from the tithes that came into that church. And so when we got ready to lose our income and so forth, I thought in my mind, I'm not going to be able to give now what I give when I had the income. 
And then the Lord said, you never gave out of your income anyway. I never sat down and figured, could I give $10 a week or $5 a week or $20 a week? The Lord said, listen, you've been giving me this amount every year, uh, uh, increasing it every year by faith. You trusted me to supply it. So we, we decided, my wife and I decided, we would not stop giving what we've been giving over 53 years of increase. We're going to keep increasing it. So for the last 60 or six years, without an income and job, as it were, we now have increased for six more years. And coming up in January, we, all, we don't even have to think about increasing. Listen, once you've been giving to God for 50-some years and he's proved to you in 50 years he can keep supplying it, I don't even have to. It's not actually even by faith anymore for me. I'm just delighted to be able to do it. In fact, I'm more than delighted. I'm kind of excited to see how he's going to supply it this year. And so what we do is we just keep increasing it. And when it starts out, I think the very first time I ever got involved in missions, it was like a giant step for me to give $5 a week above my tithe. Now, we're talking back in the 70s. And then the next year, we increased it another $5 a week. And then it, it jumped up to, I increased it like $8 a week. And then the next year to $10 a week. And then $20 a week. And then $40 a week. And then so and so. And over, over if you can, I, I won't give you the amount we're giving now after 53 years, but it far exceeds our tithe. And that's the reason why we now, not just my, my wife and I giving to our church, but all the people in our church that have increased out of a delight to do it, have now been able to add 140 some missionaries and we're going to be adding more here in January and we usually take on three or four more throughout the year. We just we have found that you cannot outgive God. He not only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns all the hills. And he can supply it and he does. I don't ask me, well how did he do it? In multiple different ways that I can't even explain to you. But it's not like I sit down and say, honey, here's how much we pay an electric bill. Here's how much we pay our rent or our house payment, our car payment, and our gasoline and our groceries and so forth. And this is what we have as an income through our Social Security. So how much do you think we could give to above our tithes to missions? I don't even do it that way. All I do now is I say, Lord, what would you have me to increase this year on my missions? By faith. I promise to give it to you every week for 52 weeks. I just, I just want you to supply it. So I don't even think about it. I just go ahead and make it out and put it in the offering plate. And, and God takes care of us week after week after week after week. And all I'm trying to tell you tonight is a church that may not have ever been introduced to faith promise missions, where by faith you make a promise to God to give it. You know, the word faith promise is actually just a, it's a program that a man came up with for a, a title, it's all biblical and it's got biblical principles to show you what the Macedonian churches were doing, that they gave a contribution. And, and, and I don't have time tonight, but in 1 Corinthians 16, it tells you how they took up that contribution. The Bible says, let every man lay by him in store upon the first day of the week for one year. That's what it says. And at the end of the year, I'll come and get the collection, Paul said, and I'll take your missions offering and then the next year, come back and do it again. So basically, every week, I just give my missions on my envelope. Our offering envelopes has a place for the tithe, our missions, and other programs, building funds, and so forth. And I fill out those and just give it. And I'm just telling you, folks, I can't, I, I'm not going to tell you, if you give to missions, you'll never have a problem. 
I'm just simply telling you, God's got a missions program in this Bible where he's called upon the church to be the one to take the gospel to the regions beyond. And he's asking you, if you become a partaker of spiritual things and God says, listen, then it ought to be your duty to help somebody else. You ought to feel like you owe a debt to somebody that's not saved. And it, you ought to be delighted and pleased to do this. Because the Bible will tell you there in 2 Corinthians, he is able to make all uh, sufficiency abound to you. He'll take care of your needs. And I'm, I'm a living, living proof of that. Yeah, I bet, I bet you're not telling us the whole story. I bet you got a hidden income coming in. Well, if it do, it's hiding from me because I don't know where it's at. Okay? All we do is just do what God tells us to do in the Bible. We have the right attitude about it. And it's so easy to get involved in it. So really, the whole idea, and I know your pastor, you know, uh, it, he's got a heart's desire to see this community reach for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to go door knocking. He wants people to get out and knock on doors and invite people here, people to invite their friends and so forth, so that someday this congregate, this, this auditorium will be filled with people. I mean, we, when we build our first uh, uh, building program, uh, we build a 200-seat auditorium, and just a matter of a few years giving the gospel out, we filled that building up. And then we went to double services and had four services that day, and then started taking on missionaries and building, building. Hey, listen, God can do the same thing here. It doesn't matter whether you're in New York or if you're in Arizona or where you are. It's the same old King James Bible. It's the same message of the gospel. It's the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same power. It's the same plan. You don't want to try to, this isn't the Baptist plan. This is the biblical plan. And so all we got to do is just follow the biblical plan of missions in a church. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me for a few moments tonight and just say this to you. You, you ask yourself the question, if the world was to get the gospel, if it was dependent upon the world to get the gospel uh, because of my mission giving or because of my concern, how much of the world would get the gospel? Well, you'd say, well, probably not much because I, I, I've never given to missions before. But you can have a part in the greatest program in the Bible, and that is getting involved in missions. Well, where do I start, Brother Randolph? Just pray and ask God to tell, start, start somewhere. I used to tell young Christians in our church, if it means just to start by giving 5 or $10 a week and marking it down, my missions, don't take from your tithe and say, I want to give $10 a week and rob God $10 of your tithe money, because that's just robbing Peter to pay Paul. No, put aside the tithe for your church and then say, Lord, what would you have me to do for missions above my tithe, whether it's 5 or $10? And do that and make a promise to God, I'm going to be faithful to do that every week this year. I'll tell you what will happen. God's going to show you he can supply it if you'll just give it. You know, in the Bible it says, give and it shall be given unto you. It doesn't say, I'll give it to you and then you give it. Give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure. Running over. Uh, the, the Lord said, will men give unto your bosom. You need to give it first and then God will give it to you. So I pray tonight that, Lord, all I wanted to do this evening was to set the tone of this missions conference by saying, that we have to have the same attitude, 
that the Macedonians had because they got saved. They wanted somebody else to get saved. And so they wanted to make a certain contribution. May we have that same attitude. I want to be the kind of Christian that makes a certain contribution to world missions and help each person that's here tonight, whether they're already giving to have the faith to increase or if they're here tonight and they've never got involved in missions, that they would say, I'm going to start somewhere this year right now giving a little bit extra towards missionaries that could take the gospel to the regions where I'll never be able to take the gospel. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name and for his sake. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would. And here's what I try to do in missions conferences that I'm in. I don't know how, how used you are to coming to an altar. Um, in our church, we encourage people to use the altar a lot. But uh, here's what I would say to do, is maybe just if the Spirit moves you, if you say in your heart, I, I think I'll just go to the altar and ask God, would you start to show me in my heart what I need to give? You don't have to say it verbally out loud, just say it in your heart. Maybe start out by saying, Lord, I want to first of all just thank you that somebody brought me the gospel and I got saved. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But Lord, would you help me to have that attitude that those people had tonight? Would you just give me the grace to have that same attitude and show me what you want me to give towards missions in this church? Maybe that's all you got to do is pray. But I've always encouraged our congregation. And on the first night of our missions conference, our church, we have tons and tons of people that come down the aisle and they just kneel and take a moment to talk to God and ask God to lay it upon their personal heart so that when the Sunday comes that they fill out the card, they already know what they're going to be giving. And then we total those cards up on that Sunday night and it lets us know this is what you've all promised to give this year towards the missions conference. So from that, we can actually take on another one or two or three or five more missionaries. And folks, if you do that year after year after year, you're gonna be supporting hundreds of missionaries in like 50 different countries of the world and be giving tens and tens of thousands of dollars to get the gospel out. And if that's what happens, it'll be because God's giving you the right attitude towards it. So as she plays the, the, uh, the uh, altar call tonight, if you'd like to come, I don't know, there might be someone here that um, has never been saved. If you'd like to come, we'd be glad to take the Bible and give you the gospel so that you can know how Jesus Christ died for you. So if the Lord speaks to your heart tonight, why don't you just take a moment to slip out, come down to this altar, and just take a moment to kneel before the God that saved you and say, Lord, show me what you want me to do for world missions. Would you do that tonight? Would you do that? Just take a moment to come, then you can go right back to your seat and we'll be dismissed.